the Perrys are over there. You're in for a treat. Head out to children's worship. While kids are uh, heading out, we're going to uh, continue our look uh, at the book of Numbers. Uh, and today we're uh, up to Numbers chapter 18. And so the great news about us being at Numbers 18 uh, is that we're about halfway through. Uh, some of you might be sad about that. Some of you might be happy uh, isn't it funny how God puts us in stuff like this, right? I mean, just gives us an opportunity to, uh, well, just be renewed and restored in ways that we never dreamed we would or that we thought we needed, right? Uh, and so we're going to look today at Numbers 18, verses 1 through 32. I'm not going to read the whole text because this is a rehash of uh, things that God has said uh, to, to his people before. Remember at the end of last week's sermon... Uh, uh, God had wanted to put an end to the people's grumbling. What a great goal. Uh, and as a res- result of that, he had the people, uh, a representative from each tribe, take a stick, put it in the tabernacle, and Aaron's stick not only grew leaves, budded, and produced fruit, while everybody else's stick just was a dead stick, Right? Um, and the people see that, and their response is a response of fear. They're terrified. If God's like this, how can we approach and not be destroyed? Now, that's a hard message for us, right? Because the fact that it, in, in, in one of two ways, that's a hard message for us. In one way, we think, you know, there is no reason ever to be afraid of God. Right? Probably none of you thought this morning, you know, uh, I am coming into the presence of God, and that's a, that's a fearful thing. If, if you came today with the thought that I'm coming into the presence of God, and I'm going to be okay in the presence of God because I did the right things this week, you should be afraid. Also, if you came today thinking that I'm going to be in the presence of God and it doesn't matter what I did this week, maybe you should be afraid. Not that the ground's going to open up or that fire's going to come down and consume you as it did the people previously, but something maybe worse, the deceitful, insidious power of sin might drag you into a black hole you can't get out of, a hardening, a cynicism, a coldness, and that's something to be afraid of, really. And so as we, as we come at the, the text today, uh, I, I want us to, to be, to be clear about a couple of things. If you come into the presence of God, who gets to say how we come into the presence of God, by the way? Uh, only on the merit and the atoning work of Jesus Christ 
you have no reason to be afraid. That's always a safe and glorious and wonderful place. But if we come on anyone else's merit, we, we might have reason for fear. That's a kind of a sobering thing for us, right? It's a, <coughs> a hard thing for us to see. Um, and uh, as we see in this text, uh, uh, the Lord has much uh, to teach us, I think, about that. Remember, just so that you, you know, uh, the reasons why we're doing the book of Numbers and the reason why it's good for you is the New Testament tells us that these things were written for you. Right? And so anytime somebody comes and says to me, this is for you, then, and especially when it's God who's telling me that it's for me, I probably should pay attention, right? I should probably think, okay, the Lord must have something for me in this. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to read some portions out of this text so you get the flavor of it. It's all uh, re- repetition about uh, sacrifices and tithes and, and uh, 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 those sorts of things uh, that, that, that God has said before. And uh, we're going to draw some conclusions from this and some applications uh, for this for uh for ourselves. So this is God's answer to the people who have come to the conclusion that they can't approach God at all. And so now God is going to say to them, no, this, let me remind you, this is how I've told you before how to approach me. And this is how it works. So numbers 18 verses one through 32, this is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons in your father's house, you shall bear iniquity connected with the sanctuary, and you and your sons with you shall bear iniquity connected with your priesthood. In other words, they're accountable to God for how they minister, okay? And with you, uh, you you bring your brothers also, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of your father, that they may join you and minister to you while you and your sons with you are before the tent of the testimony. They shall keep guard over you and over the whole tent, But shall not come near to the vessels of the sanctuary or to the altar, lest they die and you die. They shall join you and keep guard over the tent of meeting for all the service of the tent. And no outsider shall come near you and you shall keep guard over the sanctuary and over the altar. And that there may never again be wrath on the people of Israel. And behold, I've taken your brothers, the Levites, from among the people of Israel. They are a gift to you, given to the Lord to do the service of the tent of meeting. And you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar and that is within the veil, and you shall serve. I give your priesthood as a gift, and any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron. Behold, I have given you charge of the contributions made to me, all the consecrated things of the people of Israel. I've given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual due. This shall be yours of the most holy things reserved from the fire, every offering of theirs, every grain offering of theirs, and every sin offering of theirs, and every guilt offering of theirs, which they render to me, shall be holy to you and to your sons. In a most holy place shall you eat it. Every male may eat it. (coughs) It is holy to you. This is also, this also is yours, the contribution of their gift, all the wave offerings of the people of Israel. I've given them to you, to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the grain, the first fruits of what they give to the Lord, I give to you. 
The first ripe fruits of all that is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Everyone is clean who is clean in your house may eat it. Every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. Everything that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which they offer to the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And their redemption price, at a month old, you shall redeem them, shall be five, you shall fix at five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is 20 geras. We're going to skip down now uh, over uh, to verse 25. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Moreover, you shall speak and say to the Levites, When you take from the people of Israel the tithe that I've given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present a contribution from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. And your contribution shall be counted to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and the fullness of the winepress. And so you shall also present a contribution to the Lord from all your tithes, which you receive from the people of Israel. And from it, you shall give the Lord's contribution to Aaron the priest. Out of all the gifts to you, you shall present every contribution due to the Lord from each its best part is to be dedicated. Therefore, you shall say to them, when you have offered from it the best of it, then the rest shall be counted to the Levites as produce of the threshing floor and as produce of the winepress. And you may eat it in any place, you and your households. For it is your reward in return for your service in the tent of meeting. And you shall bear no sin by reason of it when you have contributed the best of it. But you shall not profane the holy things of the people of Israel, lest you die. Okay, Scott. So at the end of chapter 17, the people are overwhelmed with fear about approaching God. Now, we have this weird thing about fear, don't we? <clears throat> many of us are overwhelmed by fear. Uh, and many of us... Uh, uh, have no fear at all. When what the scriptures tell us and what common sense should tell us is there is a place for some of us to have some fear. Now, think about this. This this became very clear to me in the rearing of my children. So I have one kid who was terrified of loud noises, terrified of bad weather. He hated, and I think the reason why he was terrified of bad weather is he didn't like the sound of the thunder. Loud noises always bothered him. And so as he's the only person I know younger than 50 who watches the Weather Channel religiously, right? He would be watching the Weather Channel and he would call me at the office and say, Dad, a storm's coming. It's going to be here in two hours. You should come home right now. Because he's so terrified of storms, which is ironic. He's obviously gotten over that fear of loud noises because his job now is blowing things up and shooting guns. That's what he does. And he loves that. He's in the army. That's his thing, right? So, and anything, if you know anything about the army at all, it makes a lot of noise, right? So, so he's in it. He does it. <clears throat> My daughter, premature, tiny, always <clears throat> hardly on the growth chart until she was 21. Uh, on the other hand, <clears throat> walks, walked through her childhood with almost no fear of anything. We were trick-or-treating when she was four, and I was standing at the end of the driveway, and there, we have this neighbor who's uh, kind of a jerk, and he he's hiding behind a tree, and he's going to scare her when she goes down the driveway. She's walking down the driveway. He comes out from, from behind the tree to scare her. She's four. She's about this tall. And she held up her finger and said, back off. 
back off. Yeah. She needed some fear, right? It would have been good for her to have a little healthy dose of fear. That would have been safer for her and certainly better uh, for me as her dad. <coughs> Nothing wrong with fear if it's the right things in the right place at the right time. In our culture, though, we don't, we don't think about that very often, right? Because we believe that we are autonomous individuals and that we are accountable only really to ourselves. And yet, in our culture, probably one of the best-known songs, uh, the song in America today, is the song Amazing Grace. Uh, even people who don't go to church sing Amazing Grace, or at least they hum it. They, they sing it. They know it. Uh, and yet there's that great line in Amazing Grace that says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." Is it possible that the love of God could be so grand and wonderful and marvelous, the mercy and the grace of God would be so tremendous that it might make you afraid? And that that's a gift. And that the means whereby God alerts you to the fact that there may be something that you need to be afraid of, the way he does that, through grace, through mercy, might also be the means whereby he relieves us of that fear. You see, here's, here's the thing that we have, we have to see about this and what this text tells us today. Uh, it may not seem like it to you. It may not seem like it to me. But all of these regulations about having priests and needing people to represent us, uh, needing someone to represent us before God, the necessity of sacrifice so that we can be presented before this God, that is still true of you and I today. It is there, it, nothing has changed. You need a priest. I need a priest. You need a sacrifice. I need a sacrifice. And without those, without that sacrifice, And without that priest to represent us, we have no access. Now, now, why would God keep bending over backwards and communicating over and over and over again through all these regulations about sacrifices, all these regulations about priests and the way (coughs) the tabernacle is organized and the way worship is to be organized? Why does he do that? Why can't he be more democratic and just say, you know what? I'm just glad y'all are here. (laughs) I'm just glad you're interested at all. And so come on in any way you want. Right? Rather than say, you know what? The fact is joy and life and freedom and meaning and purpose in life is found in and through the God-ordained means of having a relationship with him. You see, that's, that's the wonder, that's the, that's the, that's the great thing that, that we have here. You see, and, 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 and you may not, you may not understand this this way, and it may, it may, it may be alarming, it may be angering, it may be frustrating for you to think about this, but, but the Bible makes it pretty clear to us that our drive always 
is to have a relationship with God on our terms and not on his terms. When Adam and Eve get thrown out of the garden, right, we think, I always think of that as, you know, that the, that may, might have been the worst day ever, right? They get, they get thrown out of the garden and we read about that terrible thing that happens, you know, the thorns start growing, the mosquitoes start biting and the squirrels start digging, right? So, so the curse is happening all around us. And Adam and Eve look back at the garden and what they see is the tree of life. And God in his grace and his mercy sets an angel there with a, with a, with a sword that says, you can't come back here and eat of the tree of life. Now, now to some that may seem cruel and that may seem terrible, but what God is doing is preserving the means whereby we can get to life, but life in him. Where we can get to life, because if, if Adam and Eve go back and there's no block to them from eating the, 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 the tree of life, what's going to be true? Without the atoning work of Christ, without, without their sin being dealt with, without their rebellion being dealt with, what will happen is they'll be confirmed in life forever in alienation from their creator. Without the possibility of redemption. <coughs> Every time we decide that I will develop my own relationship with God and I will determine how I will relate to him and I will determine how he will relate to me. We're doing the same thing. We're trying to get back to the garden. We're trying to get back to the tree of life without understanding and seeing first and foremost that by doing that, we set ourselves up to live a life not of freedom, not of joy, not of peace, not of grace, not of mercy, but of independence from the one who made us and the one who redeemed us. And ultimately, what looks to us as the pathway back to life is the pathway to death. And so God communicates to us over and over and over again the absolute necessity of sacrifice, the absolute necessity of, of someone representing us, the absolute necessity of atonement being made for us. And it is a, it is a, it is a powerful thing. And, you know, you would think we wouldn't forget that. But the truth is, left to my own devices, I will try to figure out a way to minimize my need of a, a sacrifice, to minimize my need of a priest, to minimize my need of someone to stand in my place to represent me and to care for me, to provide for me, and to atone for me. That is the only way that the scriptures tell us the only way to peace and joy, the only way to satisfaction, the only way to real freedom is to find ourselves in this way. Now, it may seem to us in our culture today that this is very narrow and that that's very uh, closed-minded. But the fact is, the way to God through Jesus Christ is wide. It is wonderful. It is glorious. But it is the only way. Okay? And so, so as we, as we see that, as we understand it, that, that is what all of these regulations and all of these things are ultimately, uh, uh, communicating to us. So what God is doing here in chapter 18 is He is reiterating the means of approach to God, the means to have a relationship with Him, and the means of the support of that means of approach. So all of these ties, all of these gifts, all of this wine and 
fruit and grain and animals and and all of those things are given so that this means of approach through the priesthood and and, and through the tabernacle can be maintained. (coughs) Next slide. So this chapter illustrates a hard truth for us. We are not autonomous beings simply going through life seeking what will make me the most fulfilled. Wait, wait, did I just say that? I, I thought that was the point, that, that I'm here, and certainly my children are here, so that they can live the most fulfilled, autonomous lives ever, right? Now, this is, this is one of the things to me that I think uh, is so challenging about understanding the way God works with us and in us and through us and for us. Because the drive in us is so strong to be independent and autonomous. Uh, and it, it is, is so profound that, what, that God must work uh, constantly by his spirit, through his truth, in the gospel, to remind us that, that nothing could be further from the truth, right? So we're not autonomous beings seeking, simply going through life seeking what will make us, make me the most fulfilled. God tells us how to approach, and he tells us how to live, and he tells us what to do with the fruit of our labor. God always sets the terms of our relationship. We still cannot approach without a priest and a sacrifice. And so that's, that is, that's, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, that's what relieves my fears today. That's what, that's what the, the, the broadness and the wonder and the beauty of the gospel is what gives me a sense today of this God is for me. He loves me. And even where he sets boundaries and parameters around the way to approach him, he's doing it in a way so that I might ultimately find life. And so what does he say about this? Why The other thing that you have to see that is running through all of these commands about bringing these tithes and sharing these things and eating these meals together. I mean, did you notice that part of the way you worship God here is you bring some great food together and you eat it together? Isn't that awesome? When was the last time you thought, you know what, we're going to buy a steak or those others of you, tofu, right, or... Whatever, whatever it is that, you know, you like, whatever tofu is, bean curd, that, that, that just warms my, makes me want to get the brunch right away. Uh, and that to the glory of God, and as an expression of our belonging to him and belonging to one another, we sit down and we enjoy that sacrifice of, of that food and, and we have a sense of the favor and the love of God and the fact that we belong to him, that he belongs to us and that we belong to one another, right? What a, what a wonder that is because you see what you have to see about all these sacrifices and all these things that are going on here and, and the support of the, of the, of the tabernacle, the support of, 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 of the work there, that this is something that the community does together, right? So our relationship with God is always rooted in a community of people. The people are doing all these things, are not just doing this as simply as individuals. This is something that they all do together. And that the worship of God, 
the, the work of, of, of the priesthood, the work of, of representing the work of God to the world is something that the whole community does, right? <coughs> and we experience the work of God, as we do in this text, through a community, through other people. Now, this is where it gets really sticky for us. Because what might happen in a community is that there might be people in the community that I'm with that, you know, we, we worship together, we love together, we might even eat the steak together, but the people around that table might say to me, hey Steve, my brother, I love you, and you need to stop that. Hey Steve, you're my brother, I care for you, and maybe this isn't something that you should do. You see, this is one of the things that challenges me. One of the things that tells me that Numbers is such a such a good good book for us to study because the 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 fact of the matter is what what I have to see is that the, the, the God ordained means whereby I have a relationship with God works and and happens in the context of a community and this this community that God has placed me in. We worship and we function together in this for the glory of God. We care for one another, we encourage one another, we rebuke one another. We, we, one of the things that is so difficult for people in our community and the, that was difficult for these people apparently as well is, is that the fact is this, this accountability and this belonging to a community is a place of joy and safety for us. Now, I told the, the nine o'clock service that one day I'm going to write a book about pastoral ministry. And I'm going to include in that book, uh, Steve's top 10 pet peeves of pastoral ministry. Now, nobody's going to read that chapter. And actually, I probably shouldn't put that chapter in there because it sounds like complaint. But I am, one of the things that is befuddling, truly befuddling, is to have someone in the community, someone you know and you love, someone who knows and loves you, someone who knows the truth of the gospel, say, when they are shown clearly, this is what God says, this is who we are, and this is what we do, say to me, I know that the Bible says that, but God has said to me, I don't have to do that. Now, there's a lot of publishing today and a lot of stuff that happens where Jesus shows up and talks to people and he tells them stuff. And he does it apparently with many of us. Jesus told me this was okay. I got to tell you, Jesus shows up and talks to me a lot too, but most of the time when he does that, he says to me, Steve, what are you doing? (laughs) Really? (laughs) really what is wrong with you now that may seem like steve you have a harsh jesus but that jesus seems to square with the one i read about in the gospels who's on the boat with his disciples and says where's your faith i don't think he said guys it's okay where's your faith i think he's like What is wrong with you? Where's your faith? 
Or the time after he, he feeds the thousands and they're like, oh, he's mad. That Jesus is mad at us because we didn't bring the food. And he rips off eight questions of them. Boom, 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 boom. Listen, if the Jesus you worship never, ever, ever has a word of criticism for you, it might not be Jesus we're talking about. Right? And listen, listen, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to, to be, uh, well, maybe I am trying to be difficult. I don't know, but I, I know... I know for a fact that the only way I know that I'm not autonomous and independent and therefore alone in the world is that the word of God directs and guides me and places me in a community where God works and guides and directs me. And so all of this material that we see here that's going on here is the experience that the people of God have together, right? That that our relationship with God is always rooted in a community of people. And we experience the work of God through that community. I belong to a body, right? Next, Next slide. And all that I am and all that I have is his. I've been purchased, right? So, so... And part of that purchase, part of that atoning work is not just something that now I'm autonomously set free from the guilt of my sin to go and do and be who I want to be. But the actual work that he does there is he puts me in a community with other people. (coughs) And you know what? That's one of the most maddening things that God does. It's so hard. It's so hard. And one of the ways that we know it's hard is... That when we join the church, when we baptize our kids, when we get married, when we get ordained, what do we do? We take vows. Why? Because it's hard. And, and, and we need to say to God and to our community, please help me to do what I know it is that you've called me to do. Uh, one of the things, one of the, the wildest things that it never occurs to people that when we do weddings, that the wedding's really not for the two people that are getting married, but it's for the community. And we say in our wedding liturgy, I say to the congregation, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility of assisting these two people in their marriage? You're invested in it. It's not just their marriage. It's our marriage. That's a hard thing for us. It makes no sense. I know. Uh, and it, it, and it might make sense as long as everything's hunky dory and cool, but when you hit the rough spots, it doesn't make any sense anymore because I want an eject button in my seat that I can punch and get out of here before I have to deal with any of these hard things of being in a community. Wow. So if I've been purchased, none of this is mine. I simply have a place in the kingdom of God that he has placed me in and among a group of people. So why is it so hard to believe that true freedom and joy is found in recognizing my dependence upon the work of Christ 
and my interdependence with the community he is redeeming and building. That's his purpose. That's his point. That, that's what all of this ultimately is about. That we are in this together, that we have a high priest in Jesus, that we have a, a sacrifice in Jesus, and that as he does that, he binds us together one with another, and we love each other, we live together with one another, and that is the safest, freest place in the world for me. It's the safest and freest place for any of us. And for those who have eyes to see, that is one of the things that makes the people of God attractive to the rest of the world. That these people love me, and they love me enough to to rebuke me, to challenge me, but to feast with me, and to enjoy also the goodness and the grace of God for me. Then came